Morning, everyone. Um, some of you may remember, uh, I believe it was AGM, not last year, but the year before, the void of the 18 months of the pandemic, confusing dates in my head slightly. Um, but the church meeting agreed um, on the support with the support of the deacons to fund a project that is ongoing um, within Baptist circles internationally that releases me to um, about 14 hours a month to work on specifically drawing ties and connections with other affirming Baptist churches and Baptist networks around the world. So first of all, I want to tell you that it's still going on. Um, Bloomsbury is a significant contributor to that. You agreed to pay £1,000 uh, for each year, so £2,000 across, across two years. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And you are definitely one of the more significant contributors, um, which is wonderful to experience. You may be familiar that uh, the Baptist tradition, unfortunately, although rooted in social justice and liberation, actually is not all that top when it comes to LGBTQ plus inclusion. Um, and particularly, unfortunately, our own union of churches here in Britain um, is, is significantly failing on that mark. So a lot of my work at the moment is dealing with a number of safeguarding issues that are ongoing within the Baptist Union of Great Britain. Um, and also thinking about how ministers and those who are involved in leadership within uh, our union of churches who are not ordained can perhaps begin to challenge the union on how to be more affirming and to make our churches safer for LGBTQ plus people. So in November, there'll be a, a gathering of, of affirming ministers, hopefully, uh, barring COVID restrictions that may or may not fall upon us again. Um, so that is a positive step. So there is some negative, but there is some positivity going. So I'm coordinating that with Northern uh, Bible College in Manchester. Other positive news is that we're actually in direct communication with a number of churches around the world, ranging from Canada and the United States, as you might expect, but right through to churches in Eastern Europe, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, parts of, of, of the African continent. So this work, although slow, uh, is, is progressing. And at times it can feel a little bit like an uphill battle, uh, but with your both financial support, but also with your prayerful support, we're able to start building connections and links to Baptists around the world who are desperately trying to make our Baptist churches and our Christian communities safer and more inclusive for LGBTQ plus people. So I want to say thank you again. And I also would just implore you that when you have your time with God, however that looks to you, I would implore you to continue praying for this. It's not easy for people who are currently in dialogue with people, particularly at Didcot here in Britain, uh, Baptist Union leadership, but around the world, it's a particularly challenging time for LGBTQ plus people. So please do pray for that work. Uh, and thank you very much. Our first set of readings today is taken from a selection of verses from Genesis 27 and 28. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called his elder son Esau and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, see, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then prepare for me savory food such as I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may bless you before I die. 
Then Rebecca took the best garment of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. Now she put the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the savoury food and the bread that she had prepared to her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give, you, give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke up, woke up from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Our New Testament reading is taken from John 1, 45 to 51. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. I wonder where you go to meet God where is your spiritual holy place I mean it might be that you're there now 
worshipping with the saints in Bloomsbury, here in the sanctuary, singing the great hymns of faith to the accompaniment of our wonderful pipe organ, reveling in hearing the work, word of God read and expounded, upheld by the prayers of the faithful. Maybe that's your holy place. Or maybe you were there earlier this morning. Maybe you sat in quiet stillness, bringing your life before God in dialogue with the scriptures through prayer. Maybe that is your holy place. Or maybe for you it's somewhere else. Maybe you go to meet God as you walk in the garden of God's creation, finding God in the beauty of nature, on the mountaintop, along the coast path, at the lakeside or the riverside, or as the sun sets in all its glory. Or maybe you meet God in your family and friends, encountering the face of the divine in the faces of those whom you love and who love you. Where do you go to meet with God? And what does it mean for you when you get there? What does the transcendent moment the realisation that there is more to this life than just you and your immediate concerns. What does this mean for you? What does it do to you? In our evening services, in the before times, we used to pause each week at the end of the day, which was also the end of the week. And we would ask ourselves this very question. Where have you encountered God today? And then we would also ask ourselves the correlating question. Where have you been today but have not found God? And as we asked ourselves these questions, we framed them using two key portions of scripture. One from the Psalms and the other from our reading today from the book of Genesis. And I'm going to suggest that... Uh, I'm, I'm going to share these questions with us now. And as I do so, I invite you to try and answer them as you reflect back on your life over this last week. So where in your experience this last week have you wanted to say with Jacob, surely the Lord is in this place? And where, in your experience this week, have you wanted to say with the psalmist, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as you hold these places of connection and disconnection in your mind, I invite you to hear with whatever faith you have the great assertion of the Apostle Paul, who said, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, if you didn't already know this, what we have just done together is known as an exercise of Ignatian spirituality, as developed by Ignatius of Loyola, the 16th century Spanish priest. What Ignatius taught was a way of discerning what he called good and evil spirits. Now, these are not conceived of as kind of angels and demons external to a person and acting on them, but rather as the moods or aspects of the human soul. Sometimes we are drawn towards love and joy and peace. But sometimes we are drawn towards confusion and doubt. And the purpose of intentional reflection on our daily lives, Ignatius said, was to learn to pay attention to the goodness that God has planted into our souls and to recognise and draw away from the sinfulness that would mar God's goodness within us. So a frank recognition of sin is the starting point for godliness. And acknowledging where God is not is the beginning of the journey towards discovering where God is. Where is God for you? Where is God not? These are the Ignatian questions, and I commend them to you. But there is one more piece of wisdom from Ignatius, and it takes us to our reading from this morning of Jacob's vision of God in the wilderness. Because Ignatius said that a bad spirit might whisper that you deserve to be comfortable and contented to discourage change. Whilst a good spirit, a godly voice whispering into our lives, might take us to the place of desolation, to the moment of crisis, to the point of re-examination of all that we hold dear and have built our life upon. Sometimes paying attention to the voice of God is not all about love, joy and peace. Sometimes it's about confronting our deepest self in all its unvarnished state. That too can be the outcome of discernment before God. And so we come to Jacob in the wilderness. I think it's fair to say that Jacob isn't a particularly likable person. He's confrontational, conniving, deceptive and manipulative. In pretty much everything we're told about him from the book of Genesis, from his emergence from the womb, grasping at the heel of his twin brother, Esau, he's presented as someone who's trying to make his way in the world, whatever the cost to others. Maybe we should blame the parents as they played favourites with their children, with Isaac favouring Esau and Rebecca favouring Jacob. Maybe it's all just an allegorical outworking of the tension between nomadic hunter-gatherers represented by Esau and settled agrarian landowners represented by Jacob. 
Or maybe it's just that Jacob was one of those people who always wanted what he didn't have, which led to him manipulating Esau out of his birthright. Scholars will tell us that the saga of Jacob and Esau, which runs over several chapters through the book of Genesis, and of which we only got a snapshot today, is what is known as an endangered ancestor narrative. We get these quite a lot through the books of Genesis and into Exodus, and they're the kind of stories you can imagine people telling of an evening, gathered around a fire, perhaps once the children have gone to sleep. These endangered ancestor stories take their tension by exploring how things nearly didn't work out the way that they did. So if your definition of yourself as an ancient Israelite is that you are a descendant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, a story of how Jacob so nearly wasn't the chosen vehicle of the covenant, well, that's a gripping narrative. And what's interesting about these stories is they also explore how the revered ancestors of the faith were fallible, flawed people. There's no hero worship here of Jacob. If anything, he is an archetypical anti-hero, someone you'd love to hate. We've all met people like Jacob, haven't we? Who will take what they want by whatever means necessary. And maybe we've all also got aspects of Jacob within ourselves, if only we can stop and reflect and recognise it. The story of Jacob, along with the other ancestors of the faith, is in essence a story of what it means to be human. Jacob is us and we are Jacob. Jacob messes up his life in a catastrophic way, deceiving his father to cheat his brother. Then he gets found out and he's on the run for his life. He's abandoned his dysfunctional family to go off into the wilderness. He's taken nothing with him, no tent, no provisions. When he finally lies down to sleep in exhaustion at the end of the day, he simply uses a stone for a pillow. This is a person literally at rock bottom. Like his grandfather Abraham before him, Jacob has come to be known as what the Hebrews would call a sojourner, a person who exists in isolation from the family systems that sustained ancient societies. It's all gone wrong and it's all Jacob's fault. Finally, his life has caught up with him and all his questing for birthright and inheritance and status and value has led him to isolation and dispossession. And he's gone into the wilderness to die alone. And then he has this dream. Let's listen to those verses again. Jacob dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And 
all families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Jacob's journey away from the spirit of comfortable contentment towards the spirit of desolation and crisis has led him straight into the faithful arms of the God who will not let him go. At the place of Jacob's deepest suffering, God has shown up. And at that moment, Jacob is challenged to reevaluate his entire worldview. He had been seeking a birthright for himself. His efforts to manipulate and deceive Esau and Isaac were all focused on him securing his own place in God's covenant promises. But what he found was at the very moment he gave up on all his dreams and aspirations, at that moment God came to him to give him the very thing he had been trying all those years to take for himself. But there is a twist. Jacob wanted an inheritance for himself. But God is very clear, did you spot it? That the covenant promises are for the blessing not just of Jacob and his descendants, but of all the families of the earth. So imagine now with me that you're sat around the campfire in ancient Israel. Imagine that you're one of those who sees yourself as the descendant of Jacob, heir to the promises of God given through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. What do you hear? This story is a challenge to nationalism. It is a challenge to exceptionalism. If we are Jacob and Jacob is us, then we too need to learn that God's promises, God's blessing is far wider, far more expansive than we had previously realised. The invitation here is for all those who encounter this story, whether in ancient Israel or contemporary London or anywhere in between, to realise that God's covenant cannot be controlled, God cannot be contained, and none of us deserve the love of God that God nonetheless extends to each of us in our moments of deepest need. Jacob had gone into the wilderness to die. He had run from everything that he thought represented his status as the heir to God's promises. And yet he encountered God in the very place that he had thought God would be absent. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. So I ask again, where for you is God? And where for you is God not? John's gospel picks up the story of Jacob's dream to describe what it understands as the significance of Jesus. It says that those who, like Nathaniel, seek a revelation of God, will discover that Jesus is for them Jacob's ladder. The point of connection between heaven and earth with the angels ascending and descending upon him. 
those who daily take up their cross and follow the path of Christian costly discipleship will discover that God is a God who consistently shows up in suffering, that God's redemptive work of new life is consistently revealed in death. Those who follow Jesus into the wilderness of temptation and confront their unvarnished selves will find that God is revealed in that moment of deepest self-knowledge. Those who leave their security to become sojourners in this world will meet God in the loss and discover an inheritance that goes beyond all human containment. Because God is not just the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God is not just the God of Israel any more than God is an Englishman. God is not just the God of Bloomsbury or the Baptists. God is not just the God of those who are cisgendered and straight. God is not owned by all those who call themselves Christian. God is the God of all. And those whom God calls are called not for their own sake, but for the blessing of all nations and all peoples and all families. Which brings me to my challenge for us this morning. If we had read on a couple of verses further in our reading, we would have heard what Jacob did next. Jacob was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early that morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, which means house of God. And in time, Bethel became a shrine. It became a sanctuary. It became known as the dwelling place of God. It was where later pilgrims went to meet with God in the hope that they too would encounter there an echo of the glory of Jacob's vision that he had received that night. God was revealed to Jacob in the wilderness, the place with no walls and no boundaries and no security and no stability. And yet Jacob's response was to build walls to define the boundary, to establish security, to seek stability. Jacob sought to once again contain God, to control the blessings of the covenant. And Jacob is us and we are Jacob. Too easily we seek to contain God. To put the boundaries around our experience of God and say this is how we meet with God and therefore this is the context in which others must too. What does it mean for us to discover in our lives, in our community of faith, that God's blessing and promises are only ever given for the blessing of all? What does it mean for the Baptists to discover that God is at work in the LGBTQ Christian community around the world? Can we once again make the journey to the wilderness of God's absence to discover that God is unexpectedly present in the very places we least expected to find God? 
always coming to us by grace at the point of our deepest need? And can we resist the temptation to then try and keep that blessing for ourselves? As we come towards our time of reflection together on what we have heard from me and I hope from God, I'd like to share a photo with you that I took a few years ago at the Marc Chagall Gallery in Nice. Chagall was a Russian-French artist of Jewish origin, and this is his interpretation of Jacob's dream as he painted it in 1963. It's huge. It's, if you've ever been uh, to the Chagall Gallery in Nice, these paintings are massive. They're kind of two by three meters. And you can see on the left side of the image, a sleeping man seated next to a ladder held by two supernatural beings with wings. And on the right side, another supernatural being with a bigger body and larger wings. And as we reflect before it's time for Nigel and Luke and Liz to reflect with us on the sermon today, I'd just like you to spend a couple of minutes with this picture and to reflect on what it means for you to encounter God. Thank you, Simon, for that explanation and challenge there and for the opportunity to to pause and reflect. I think your question right at the beginning got me thinking, where is your holy place? And how sometimes it can be hard to find a place where we can encounter God. And sometimes when we do encounter God, that place isn't as comfortable as we always thought it would be either. But perhaps I can, I don't know who wants to go first. We've all taken notes. We've all taken <laughs> notes. <laughs> okay, Look, Luke, perhaps you can share something of your reflections. Yeah, um, I started with that, that question too about where uh, you find where is God present. Um, and that's I think it made me reflect that actually often I kind of just middle along. <laughs> God is there, uh, but there are, no, there are no kind of dramatic moments of absence or, or connection. Um, but it, I did find the kind of the, the piece around the, the kind of the mood aspects of the human soul um, and paying attention to the goodness that God has planted. Uh, but perhaps we choose to try and avoid that which can scar or that can harm. And this week, it kind of there was a nice synergy to some reading and meditation that I've done myself on the work of Charles Eisenstein. Um, and he talks about the blurring of those boundaries. Uh, firstly, from a Christian lens of forgiveness, and I think this is particularly relevant with the, the story of Jacob and Esau, when we kind of look at Jacob as a, as a bad character, but actually this idea of forgiveness coming from a flash of understanding that if I were in the totality of your situation, I may well have done what you did, and that kind of sense of common humanity, which Eisenstein then links to this concept of interbeing, uh, that we are all in existence in relationship. And we depend on each other, uh, on the rainforest and the sun, water and soil to survive. And that's why these things hurt when there is damage done to that earth. They're happening to each of us. 
So in these places of deepest suffering, we can still find God. And then linking to that idea of covenant promises. Uh, and for me, that speaks this idea of interconnection, of interbeing. We're all blessed so that we can bless, but we're all harmed when harm is caused. And for me, Christ is at the center of that interconnectedness between suffering and blessing. Uh, God blesses so that all may be blessed. Thank you. That's helpful. Uh, Liz. Yeah, I mean, I used to really like the that that particular um, uh, pattern at the evening services. It was always something that I missed when when we stopped doing them. That the, the kind of recognizing where where God was for me, but also where God was not. And I remember actually at one of them, some there was a question over whether the second question should be asked like that because you know, God's everywhere. We, we, you know, God is, of course, there. So surely we shouldn't be questioning um, where God is not. But I remember that thinking that that was very important for me um, to actually be able to recognize where, for me, it felt like God was not, regardless of whether God is everywhere. Um, and um, it's interesting when Simon had said, when uh, he mentioned earlier this week what, what the passage was, because I was doing the Bible reading, and um, he, um, I had always thought that this particular, um, the, the, uh, the angels ascending and descending, the Jacob ladder thing, was linked to Jacob wrestling with God. So somewhere, I think, in Sunday school, I had two stories had been conflated. So I was expecting there to be a big wrestling match. Um, and I was surprised when I discovered that actually they're not together. They're, they're different stories. Um, and for me, that that's kind of stuck with me, this concept of um, where is God not? Well, actually, for me, often God is God. It feels that God is not somewhere, but actually it's often in the wrestling that then suddenly I do discover God. But having said that, in this this passage, um, there was no wrestling. Um, it wasn't to do with wrestling with God and wrestling with an angel or, or anything. And um, for me, it's interesting that actually um, that it was in a dream and that actually Jacob had given up and laid down and it wasn't that he was actually having to do anything in particular it's just that you know he'd almost like had enough and, and laid down and, and that's where he then came to a understanding that God was there and um, that's, in, that, that's important to me to realize that actually sometimes I think it, it can be really easy to say well of course um, I mean, I wrote down, um, God will not let you go. And, and um, you know, in those places of desol desolation, God will meet you. Well, what happens when that doesn't always feel like that? So what happens when you're actually having to be in a, a, a moment of desolation or that you're suffering from depression or that things are really bad? And that actually that period goes on for a long time. And that, I think, can be the case for a lot of people, but actually for a long time, it can feel that, that God is, is um, absent. And so with that, there is, for me, some comfort in the recognition that actually it's okay to ask that question, where is God not for me at the moment? Uh, it's okay to recognize that sometimes it feels like that. And it's okay for that period for you not to do the wrestling, but actually to, to rest and, um, and the, the, to have whatever limited faith that, that, that you can have that actually the God is there. Mm. That's powerful, isn't it? Um, the, the Celtics used to talk about thing places, and thing places are places where God is easily encountered. And um, 
there would often be, you know, scenes of nature or glorious cathedrals or something. And I think places where we encounter God are different for each one of us. And for some person, it might be sitting by a stream or looking at a mountain. For someone else, it's going to be in their private room. And I think one of the things about encountering God is it's something we do together as well and not just alone. Very often we think about going away and being with God. Well, we're with God when we gather together as well. And our faith isn't just about our own personal relationship with God, important though it is, and of course a relationship with God is part of our faith, but it's about our community together before God, our fellowship with him and with one another. You know, are we building walls like Jacob did? He went away and built that wall and, and thanks to God in to what he felt his experience should be. And maybe we need to make sure we're not building walls and that we're creating places where all can encounter God together. Now, I wonder if we have any, any helpful thoughts on that. Andrea's really helpfully put this so we can read it here. Um, Jeff says, when I read this sermon, it took me to places I'm not used to going. I think that my place to meet God is in both the search for, and even better, the experience of inspiration. Um, and then he also makes the point, out of the First World War came a number of people who understood that God was hung on the wire and that there is no place that is God forsaken. We've kind of touched on that a bit already. And Veronica says, all the places where I found God have closed down or changed completely. Most of the time, all I experience is the absence of God. I think Nigel's insight that we encounter God in community is an important one. Thank you. I don't know if anyone here has anything you'd like to shout out and contribute. It's a bit more frightening, perhaps. And Frank? I think you appreciate God something which is so just a sec. I just need to, to translate for those at home who won't hear. So Frank is saying, firstly, that you appreciate um, that God is in a place where, so it was when, when what's pleasing to God is happening there. To people and to God, yeah. Which... Yeah. So Frank says, you know, some act of charity or, or some new event or something that pleases God and pleases the people. I think that picks up on Dawn's challenge to us last week of thinking about is what we're doing pleasing God and how that should be a, a thought in our minds. Thank you. That's helpful. OK, then. Well, I think we should. Thank you, Luke and Liz and Frank and was it Jeff and Veronica? That's some helpful thoughts. Please continue to think this week about where and how you can encounter God. Loving God, hear our prayers. Divine light, Christ, 
We are at times surrounded by darkness. We seek strength to be the light. The darkness comes to us in war, in greed, in poverty, in separation. We create the darkness in judgment, in condemnation, in ignorance, in fear. The darkness comes to us in lies, in dehumanization, in injustice, in anger. We create the darkness in falsehoods, in rejecting our neighbor, in silence, in dismissing love. The darkness comes to us in propaganda, in denial, in us versus them, in control. We create the darkness in dismissal, in fatigue, in isolation, in power games. Divine light, Christ, we are at times surrounded by darkness. We seek strength to be the light. Forgive us when we war. May we forgive those who war against us. Forgive us our greed. May we forgive those who are greedy. Forgive us when we lie. May we forgive those who lie to us. Forgive us when we choose isolation. May we forgive those who isolate us. Forgive us when we dehumanize. May we forgive those who dehumanize us. Forgive us when we seek to control. May we forgive those who control us. Forgive us when we reject love. May we forgive those who do not love us. Divine light, Christ, we are at times surrounded by darkness. We seek strength to be the light. Blessed be the name of our God, hope, truth, light. Amen.